Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. This week, we're talking about the zombie drama Fear the Walking Dead, the sitcom News Radio, and Time Magazine's list of 100 best fantasy novels of all time. Let's get to it. So you've been watching Fear the Walking Dead. I watched like part of season one, but I didn't keep going. So tell me all about what's yeah, going on. Yeah, that's fair. So I recently started watching season five because I got behind and season six started on October 11th. So I wanted to catch up and see if I could start watching it week to week. I actually initially started watching it because I liked some of the actors in it. And I guess it's not really a typical show of mine. I don't watch The Walking Dead, which is a, it's a spinoff of. So it's okay. So Fear the Walking Dead. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Fear the Walking Dead started in 2015. So it's in its sixth season now. The first three seasons were technically a prequel to The Walking Dead, okay. which is based on the comic books. And both series were created by Robert Kirkman and Dave Erickson. And I believe Dave Erickson was the showrunner for Free the Walking Dead for the first three seasons. And Andrew Chambliss and Ian Goldberg are now the showrunners from the fourth season on. And you can really tell there's a tonal shift between seasons three and four and just kind of a story shift. Mm. So it's kind of almost like two separate shows, which is weird. Mm. I enjoyed the first couple seasons. I didn't like season three at all. I just didn't like the big bad. And I was just like, this is not my thing. But the first couple seasons were interesting because the first season is only six episodes long. And it happens right at the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. So you're kind of figuring out along with the characters what's happening. And it follows a blended family. So Kim Dickens plays Madison Clark. So she's the matriarch, and she's married to Travis Manawa, played by Cliff Curtis. And then they've each got kids. So Madison has two kids. One is Nick, who's played by Frank Delane, who's the son of actor Stephen Delane, and Alicia, who's played by Alicia Debnam Carey. And then Travis's son, Chris, is played by Lorenzo James Henry. And they meet another family, the Salazars, and they're trying to survive you know, this newfound apocalypse together. And there were there were some good things and bad things about it. I know our friend Rachel kind of stopped watching early on too. Cause it did it was fairly apparent that they were they were killing off characters of color mm. in a greater proportion than the white characters. And I think I hope that they, you know, took that to heart. Because I think as it stands now, there are a lot of diverse characters and I really like them. But yeah, it, it had some some slip ups in the beginning, and it's much more of a family drama. There are a lot of choices I didn't really agree with in the first three seasons, but I don't really want to focus on that <laughs> because it is, like I said, it's a much much different show, which is just super weird. And I know a lot of I know some people who I I talk to online, they don't like it now, and I'm like, oh, I. Ever since season four started, I really, really like it. And I liked the shift that it made. So what happened in season four was they're kind of out in the wider world and more characters come on. So Morgan is 
a character from The Walking Dead who's crossed over to Fear the Walking Dead. He's played by Lenny James, and he's great. I love him so much. (laughs) (laughs) I remember him from The Regular Walking Dead, which I watched for quite a while until I finally gave that up. But yeah, he's great. Cool. So he's he's still on it, and I I really like his character a lot. And uh, so people have been killed off throughout the seasons. But you've got Alicia and her kind of cohort, and she meets this new group of people with Morgan in it. And she meets John Dory, who's played by Garrett Dillahunt. She meets Althea, Al, who's played by Maggie Grace. And she meets June, who's played by Jenna Elfman. Charlie's played by Alexa Nizenson. Ooh, Nizenson? <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Wendell is played by Daryl Mitchell. Sarah's played by Mo Collins. Wow, that's an amazing cast, actually. I've heard of a I lot know. of those people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they're all really good. And I think the shift that I took in season four was it's about these two groups kind of coming together and learning to trust one another. And there is a big bad that they have to kind of fight. But the shift that I really, really, really liked was there's a character named Al, played by Maggie Grace, who was a journalist. And (laughs) she drives around in the apocalypse with this like giant Humvee with guns on the side. (laughs) But her thing is like, she will help people, but she wants to know people's stories. So she like makes them sit down and she videotapes them. So she's got all these tapes of like interviews of people that she's met along the way. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really, it was really kind of a neat approach. And the first half of season four, there's like a back and forth. Like you're in the present and you know that something happened in the past. So they, they flash back a lot to kind of fill in those gaps throughout the first half of the season. Uh And again, there are some character choices that I didn't love. And I know some people, some other people didn't love, but... I really think they're trying to focus on like a found family sort of thing. Uh And I've been watching season five to catch up in order to watch season six. And they're really like at this place in their lives where they're like, okay, we're together. We're trying to figure this stuff out and we're going to help as many people as possible. So like for a long time, they were just sort of like, oh, we're terrible people and we've killed people and like, oh, everything is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But now they're at a place where they're like trying to put more good into the world, which, you know, sometimes backfires and sometimes doesn't. But yeah, it's a really, I can't say fun show (laughs) (laughs) because it's about zombies and there are, it's it's a little bit gory. Even though I'm not super, I don't really like gore. It hasn't ever really been too gory for me, which is good. Oh, I forgot. Sorry. Luciana is played by Danny Garcia. Uh, she's very important. I'm so sorry, Luciana. <laughs> <laughs> I like her a lot. Yeah, I don't know. It's I don't really know what appeals to me about it. It's like one of those shows that I sort of forget about. And then I watch one episode and then I watch three more immediately. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I forgot how much I like this. And one of the things that I do find very interesting about it is like for an action show, it can sometimes get sort of slow and not not in a bad way. They like slow down and have these character moments that are really, really nice and really just it. they make me invested in the characters. And I do want to mention there was an episode in season four, episode 10. It's called Close Your Eyes. And it was written by Shintaro Shimasawa. And I just wanted to give him credit because 
you know, I think writing is really important, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But this is one of the episodes that really exemplifies the fact that they can slow down and do character moments. This episode features Alicia Debnam Carey as Alicia and Alexa Nizenson as Charlie. So they have some very bad tension between them, but they get stuck in this house in a storm. It's like a hurricane and they've got to fight off walkers and it's just them for 45 minutes trying to survive this storm and zombies. (laughs) While there's this like internal conflict between, you know, what Charlie has done and what Alicia thinks she can't forgive her for. So I definitely think that's a standout episode and it it sort of exemplifies the fact that they ground this zombie show in the characters, which I really appreciate. And again, the cast is so big and I forgot someone else. (laughs) (laughs) Coleman Domingo plays Victor Strand and he's been in it since season one and he's been great. He was really sort of shady at the beginning (laughs) and he's made some mistakes, but He and Alicia, since they've been together since the beginning, they have like this really interesting friendship and you see him grow as a person, which is really cool. So yeah, I mean, I just feel like I'm going on and on because it's it's a little bit sprawling Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's hard to contain the fact that it's six seasons and it feels so different. It's sort of got reset in the middle of it. So yeah, it's it's hard to contain that, but. I hope that gives you a little bit of an idea of what it is and why I like it. Yeah, that sounds good. I, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I I don't think I stopped watching it because I didn't like it. I think it was just like zombie fatigue because I was watching The Walking Dead also. And I think around 2016, I kind of gave up on both shows at the same time as like, I don't know, the world is getting kind of not great. So let me not watch more things about sad people but maybe maybe you know and during the pandemic i have read a lot of pandemic literature and sad things and you know leaned really hard into the handmaid's tale for example so like maybe i maybe it's time to get back to it so cool that sounds really good yeah cool maybe it's time to get back to it for some reason it's like i've been very much leaning away from those types of things. And then I picked this up again and I was like, oh yeah, I really like it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's a sign of hope that you feel like it's okay to watch now. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. And I think it, it is cool that, you know, the characters are in a hopeful place right now. Oh yeah. They're trying to, like I said, put more good in the world than they find. So I think that can be a big tonal difference. You know, not everything feels lost. The, The world is awful, but there are good people in it, you know? Yeah. That's good. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And you've been watching something vastly different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very, so tell very us about different. news radio. Yeah. So this is in my watching a lot of 80s and 90s sitcoms thing. News radio was a sitcom on NBC from 1995 to 1999. So it was on for five seasons. And it is set at a news radio station as the title perhaps is that. <laughs> I take it you've never seen this or really even heard no, of it. Okay. I haven't heard of it. <laughs> yeah, and the first season is available streaming on Amazon Prime. Some of the seasons are streaming on Crackle. Some of the seasons are not streaming anywhere, so you can get them on DVD still, play it old school. <laughs> and I'm currently on season five, so I'm in the last season. And yeah. I watched most of this when it was on. I don't think I saw most of season five when it was originally on because 
There was a period where I didn't even have antenna TV when I was a certain age that I won't say because it ages me. But (laughs) (laughs) there was a period where I was mostly just renting movies and not watching a lot of stuff live. So I think I missed a lot of the last season. But I had forgotten how really funny it is. And honestly, I would put this up there with things like Seinfeld and Frasier. Like, I really think that it was among the best of the NBC must-see TV Thursday night sitcoms. Okay. Yeah. So it's about this guy, Dave Nelson, played by Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall. He is a new news director who comes to New York City from uh, Wisconsin. And he is kind of a dorky, aw shucks kind of guy. And so he gets hired into this news radio station with a cast of colorful characters. And he's the sort of (laughs) sane voice of reason. The station is owned by this guy named Jimmy James, played by Stephen Root, who people may know from Office Space. And Jimmy James is like, if you had an eccentric version of Bill Gates, he's a millionaire, but he's Southern and he's very goofy and he's kind of folksy and there's like the implication that he might be db cooper also <laughs> the the skyjacker db cooper it, okay yeah <laughs> and he's just very eccentric and and funny and even though he owns conglomerates and stuff the radio station wnyx is his favorite of his properties that he owns so he's always hanging out at the radio station and the main anchor at the station is bill mcneil played by phil hartman and he is from saturday night live and he is very very like he uses his radio voice like all the time and he's very <laughs> kind of a bon vivant, but also sort of subversive and he does not like authority. He's he's kind of jovial, but it seems kind of surface and he's kind of strange. <laughs> then we have Matthew, who's a reporter and he's played by Andy Dick and he is, they repeatedly call him a freak. He's very, very awkward. He's He likes cats a lot. He's kind of like tall and skinny and he's always falling over and He's he's just a, a kind of kooky character. And then Lisa is another news reporter played by Mara Tierney. And she is kind of the like, she's kind of the Monica Geller of the group and is very like, very focused, very scholarly, very trying to do the right thing all the time. She has a, a past life of crime in her, in her <laughs> okay. youth, but it's only because she was always trying to like, like she broke in a library because she needed to steal SAT prep books. So she's like a little bit of a rebel, but it's all in the surface in the service of her academics, basically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like I kind of relate to her a little bit. <laughs> and then there's there's Beth, who's the receptionist and the secretary, and she's played by Vicky Lewis, and she wears really outlandish clothing and is kind of silly. She's like the kooky redhead. There's a couple other characters too, but those are those are kind of the main ones and a lot of rec- recurring characters, but most of the comedy comes from the dialogue. It's very, there's a thing about this show that reminds me of Gilmore Girls in that the dialogue is very rapid fire. And I'm sure the scripts were like longer than a normal show because there's just so much dialogue and there's a lot of wordplay. And it it does some things that typical 90s sitcoms did. Like there's a romance between Dave and Lisa. There's a lot of little silly recurring plot lines that go on for several episodes. But it's very, it's kind of self-contained. It's a little bit surreal in places, but it also feels very much like a like a precursor to The Office in some ways because it is okay. a workplace sitcom. And yeah, and so I will say there was one thing about this show that does make it, I think one reason why it's not more popular in watching it over and over again is that 
Phil Hartman died at the end of season four, and they had his character die too. And so they have a replacement character in season five played by John Lovitz, who plays Max, who's the replacement news anchor. And he's fine. He's really, really good. And they deliberately cast him because John Lovitz and Phil Hartman were friends in real life. They've both been on Saturday Night Live, but it is a little bit sad. And I recently watched the episode where it's the aftermath of Bill's funeral. And the actors apparently had a lot of trouble getting through the episode because it was Mm. like a real funeral. And so it was kind of sad. But I also think that this show is so funny and so lighthearted in a lot of ways that even that really, really sad thing, I don't think it actually detracts from it. And I think that there's a lot that's good in, even in the last season. So I think that it's, I think of it as pretty, like the characters kind of snipe at each other a lot, but there's a lot of affection there. And I really, okay. I really like workplace sitcoms where people like have that sort of relationship where it's kind of like, you know, you spend so much time of your day with the people you work with. And if you have relationships where you could see yourself staying friends with them, even if you leave that workplace situation, it's kind of like that. And they have some, some really tight bonds. And so, I mean, it's just, you don't learn anything about the industry of radio <laughs> through this show. <laughs> they always show people like up in the recording booth on the air, but they're not even main characters and they're just kind of like doing the news. Okay. But, <laughs> so it's not about the news, but it is, it's really, really cute. And I'm very glad that I rewatched this because I don't know that I would have reached out for it because it's not streaming on a major, major service. But I think it's worth checking out a couple episodes on Prime if you have Prime streaming. Even just watching season one, it's really good. There's a lot of fun guest stars, like Patrick Warburton is on an episode. The guy who plays Saul on Better Call Saul, Bob Odenkirk, is on a couple of episodes. And Lauren Graham from Gilmore Girls is in a recurring role for a while. Okay. Yeah. And actually, this show is where Joe Rogan got his start. He's got a very popular podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, and he plays Joe Gorelli on this show and is pretty funny in that role. So so yeah, I think it's I think it's solid. I think it really, really holds up and it's a lot of fun. So if you like cool. that kind of NBC must-see TV 90s show, but you've never seen this, it is absolutely, absolutely worth your time. Good to know. I do have access to Amazon Prime, so okay. I will check it out and yeah. let you know what I think. Check well, it out. Maybe. <laughs> Give it a shot. I will say the thing okay. that's so funny, I will say a little personal anecdote that I'm watching this with my husband. And I got him, Dave always carries around a yellow mug with the station logo on it. And he's a coffee addict. And so I found on Etsy, you can actually buy his WNYX mug. So I got Tom a mug and he was so delighted. And then not two days later, one of our cats (gasps) broke it. Oh, no. So I immediately ordered two, (laughs) not just one, two. (laughs) And I wrote to the Etsy store person, I was like, this is a great mug. It came so fast. It's great. And then our cat broke it. And so I'm buying two and one is for a backup. And the Etsy store owner, <laughs> this is so silly, sent me two mugs very, very quickly with a tiny, like microscopic little coffee cup with a little <laughs> note in it that said, and an extra tiny one for backup, <laughs> which I just thought was precious. so etsy person thank you that was like super super sweet and very cute thank you (laughs) that was very cute i thought it was gonna be a little tiny mug for your cat to push off the counter well i think that was part of the the idea but i don't know that he had access to like (laughs) yeah it's not it's not even a real mug it looks like it's like a sewing notion or something but it's pretty pretty clever (laughs) 
That's very cute. Well, cool. I will definitely give News Radio a shot. And cool. Yeah. Great. Great. So you recently sent me a link, which I thought was amazing, about the 100 best fantasy books of all time from Time Magazine as chosen by a bunch of really well-respected authors. Yeah. Actually, I have to give credit to my dad because he forwarded it to me Cool. with an email. And he was like, no Gessner on the list, <laughs> which was cute. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah, it was really interesting to kind of take a look at what really influences genre and, you know, what sort of exciting directions the genre is going now. So yeah, we both went through it and you've read 17 books on the list and I've read 26. Yeah. So we've both got a long way to go. We do. And I thought that was kind of interesting since I was very concerned that I would have even fewer than that, but you pointed out before I went through it that it includes a wide swath of fantasy and, and all mm-hmm. years and subgenres. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll do better than I think. And it was still only 17. But I'm more surprised by you because I think you're even more of a fantasy fan than I am. Yeah, I think I am. The The problem <laughs> <laughs> is that once you get about halfway through the list and it becomes really, really modern. Uh-huh. All of those are on my to-read list. Oh. I just, <laughs> just like haven't gotten to them yet. And a few are even on my Kindle. And I actually went to a talk. One of the books on the list is called Beasts Made of Night by Tochi Anya Bucci. And I went to a talk with him last year at CMU, which was really cool. So he, he was pretty great. And, you know, I haven't still haven't read the book. It's just on my <laughs> it's signed and it's on my bookshelf. I just haven't read it yet because I'm slow so (laughs) i'm slow too i think i also have the problem of somebody tells me about a book or i hear about a book and i immediately either put it on my goodreads to to read list or i even buy the kindle edition or or find it at the library and say okay i gotta check that out soon and then i don't get to it and then the minute i finish a book and need a new book instead of going through those i like will randomly hear about something and be like oh i need that and so (laughs) Like, that's not the right way to go about these things. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, started, I saw something cool about a paranormal romance on Twitter two days ago and was like, I need to read that. And instead of reading, like, what I actually meant to or my backlog, I was like, oh, this thing that I'm just now hearing about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally get that. It's like the new shiny thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've totally done that, too. So are there any books on the list that you really, really liked? Well, I really, really like Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle, which I've reread multiple times and read the whole series before. And every time I read it, I think this is not going to hold up as much at my age and blah, 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 because I've read it multiple times since I was a kid even. And it still kind of does. It still provides some of that same joy. And I remember watching the newest film adaptation of it not super long ago and finding that really charming and and yeah, I mean, the series, I feel like it's never quite had its most definitive adaptation yet. That was pretty good, um, the version with mm-hmm. Chris Pine as the, as the dad. But it was, it was as close as any other version I've seen comes. And I kind of just want them to keep making new versions of it because it's beautiful. <laughs> and to finish, finish out the, the series because there's more books yeah. in that series. So that's probably the one standout on there that I feel very personally warm and fuzzy about. What about you? Okay, cool. Yeah, I actually didn't read A Wrinkled Time until I was in college, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I don't have that connection to it that, you know, a younger reader might. But a couple of the ones that stood out to me were 
A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin. Yeah, because yeah, that's a classic. That's pretty great. And I really like Le Guin in general. I like the way she approaches things. She's very like curious and anthropological in her writing, which is neat. And then right next to it, actually, because the, the list is in chronological order. So it starts with Arabian Nights and goes all the way up to today. Right next to A Wizard of Earthsea is The Crystal Cave by Mary Stewart, which is a book about Merlin. Uh-huh. And I think I read that when I was in Kazakhstan or like on my way to Kazakhstan. And yeah, I remember just really falling in love with her writing style. And I mean, obviously, it's been a while since I've read it, but I remember like calling her writing style earthy. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and I don't quite remember what I mean by that but I think it was just very like connected to nature and interested in the natural world and things like that cool yeah so that one influenced me a lot too that's a book that my parents had in hardcover when I was little and I always meant to finally read it and I I never actually have so I don't know if they still have it maybe I could steal it from them but Wizard of Earthsea I didn't read until grad school when we had it assigned for I don't know if you were in that class with me but I think I was. Yeah, I had never read it until then. And I didn't 100% love it. But like, it was one of those books that in retrospect, I was like, Oh, you know what, that really did do a lot for the genre. Like it really Mm -hmm. was very, like opened up a lot of stuff. I'll tell you the other one that's newer that I really like that I also had to read for class was The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. And I feel like I would never have picked that up if I weren't assigned it because it's, (laughs) it's very long. (laughs) <laughs> but it was so good. And it was kind of like almost the opposite of Wizard of Earthsea, where it, it kind of picked up the threads of a lot of those things that were groundbreaking in like the 60s and stuff and, and kind of ran with them into a new direction. But also it was just, it was one of those fantasy novels that it might not be that super, super groundbreaking, but it's like that exemplifying book, you know, where it's like, oh, you're doing mm-hmm. all the stuff that I like, and you're doing it really well. And it's not really that new, but it's, it's just really good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Have you read that? I have. Yeah. I, I think we were in the same class because I read class. both of those in, in that class too. Yeah. Okay. One of the newer ones that I have liked is The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Mm-hmm. Have you read that? I haven't. That's on my list. That's like, I need to read that. I know it would be up my alley, but I just haven't gotten to it. Yeah. I can't quite remember, but I think that I read that for class too, actually. Okay. Oh, I think it was the romance class, maybe. Oh, okay. But it was like romance subgenres or something. Oh, cool. But yeah, it's a really interesting, it's interesting stylistically. And I just really like the story a lot. So cool. I, think, I think you would find it interesting. Yeah, it's it's always appealed to me as a, it just looks really neat. I'm trying to, I'm kind of like scanning through here. I mean, there's so much <laughs> good stuff on here. And I just feel like, I know, oh, this is, this by itself is a reading list. So <laughs> But, you know, when we look at reading lists, and this one was compiled by N.K. Jemison, Neil Gaiman, Sabata here, Tomi Adimi, Diana Gabaldon, George R. R. Martin, Cassandra Clare, and Marlon James. So, like, it's not nobody making this list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think that sometimes there is this lists like this occasionally bug me. Not... Yeah. Like... I think this one is one of the better ones I've seen. It tries to be very comprehensive in terms of chronology. It tries to be very Mm -hmm. diverse. There's a lot of female authors on here. There's a lot of authors of color. But it's still somewhat arbitrary in some ways. You know what I mean? 
I totally get that. I actually am not really a fan of lists like this in general, Mm -hmm. just because they are so arbitrary. But I like that they try to include different factors. Mm -hmm. But still, at the end of the day, it it always sort of feels like popularity contest. Yeah. Like all of these have been really popular. Yeah. And that's great. That's awesome. But popularity doesn't necessarily translate to best. I think just because best is so subjective. Yeah. And I think I think one of my other issues too is it goes from like the Arabian Nights is from like the 1600s or something, but it's based on stories that are even older. But then you've only got a couple of pieces before it jumps to Alice in Wonderland, which is from 1865. And I feel like I don't personally know enough about fantasy from in between that those two, but that's like a really long time to not have any other fantasy literature represented. Right. I think it's very heavily weighted toward even the 21st century, if not yeah. just the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that if they, I mean, it's cool. All the authors that work that worked on this together are great. I don't have any qualm with them, but as a as a literature scholar, I feel like they should have had some like professors types weigh in a little bit, and we might have a slightly slightly more comprehensive list. Maybe if they'd done the two hundred best, because it's not like you don't teach fantasy literature in college, because you totally do. But I think having some some scholars of like the because I mean, there's there's fantasy in Shakespeare. I would argue that like mm-hmm. Midsummer Night's Dream is it's not a book, it's not a novel, of course, but right. but I think you can kind of fudge that a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I totally agree, and I think I tend to treat lists like this as more of a jumping off point. Mm-hmm. So I don't love that they said the hundred best fantasy books of all time. I would have preferred if it were like the hundred most influential fantasy books of all time or something like that yeah but it's definitely a good place to start if you don't read a lot of fantasy Mm -hmm. and you want to read more of it absolutely and so should we we should put that link in our show notes for this episode probably yes hopefully i'll remember (laughs) (laughs) if you if we don't you can tweet at us and we'll send it to you (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) i'll have my dad send it to you you actually But I do think it's it's a fun list. It was fun to go through and kind of think about it. And, and yeah, I think that's great. Thanks for sharing that with us. You're welcome. And thanks to my dad. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> Mr. Gessner. <laughs> so next week, we've got some really, really fun stuff planned for next week. We'll have a special guest. And we're going to talk all about musicals. I love musicals. I'm really excited. It's going to be so fun. Yes. <laughs> Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And you can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>